All right, welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds today. Jeremiah Ginn, an author, author of Diving Into Secure Access Service Edge. That's just the tip of the iceberg, I guess, when it comes to um, cybersecurity. You put your title as cybersecurity innovator, which is great. It's a it's a small field of work. There's hardly anyone going into um, security nowadays, as you, of course, know. There's very few <laughs> of you. Um, that's, you know, I've, I was told that a while back that... Uh, um, using sarcasm as a behavioral derailer. So, <laughs> um, thank you for being on the show. And um, your your job nowadays is is definitely um, it's a wide it's it, it's very far and wide. And I'd, I would love to know how anyone um, decides on on what to focus on at all. But you've written the book, so why don't we just start there? And you know, let's just start with why the book to begin with. And I don't talk security too much because um, it's definitely not an area of, I would say it's an area of my expertise as far as knowing everybody and um, knowing um, uh, kind of like who doesn't know what they're talking about and, and who does, but it's not my area of, uh, I'm not going to be the, the pen tester. Let's just put it that way. Um, but I, let me let you speak for a second. Tell us about the book real quick and uh, why the book and, and how you got there. Sure, sure. Uh, so what happened was, uh, for whatever reason, um, I got into AT&T product and, and the SD-WAN Center of Excellence at AT&T and ended up working with over 3,000 different customers on SD-WAN over the last five years. Now, what the great thing about seeing that kind of volume uh, is that you see the same problems over and over again. You see patterns, right? You uh -huh. see trend analysis. And it just becomes a way of working. And what we found was a lot of times the, the customers were going through the same learning cycle. We we all uh, understand Gartner's hype cycle, and and so you go you know you go through and you get this trough of disillusionment, and that's usually where most of these projects stop for a couple of years. Can we can we, we address that point just real sure. quick? Just because I talk about um we talk about Gartner and and people say it's a pay to play model, and then you've got some CEOs and C level sometimes that say don't bring me anything that's not on the Gartner Magic Quadrant. And okay, that's fine and good. I see Gartner, Gartner Magic Quadrant as a snapshot in time, right? I don't see it as like kind of like the real-time finger on the pulse of what a company is actually doing. Um, but you said troth and and I don't know. How much value, what can you take from from Gartner Magic Quadrant and why is it gla glazing people over or, or creating more confusion than clarity sometimes? Sure, sure. Well, first of all, as you mentioned, it's not pure science. Uh, it does offer value, though. Uh, what we see, the value of the Magic Quadrant, especially when you're like, I studied 77 different SD-WAN branded products in my journey, right? Now, all that was back in 2018, that I studied 77 different brands. What we found was, if you look at what Gartner uh, was publishing, what it allowed you to do is say, all there's this noise. There's like 70, 100, you know, a thousand different products that we got to look at. How do I get that list down to 10 or less? And, and, and that's, that's the same with everything. That's not just, yeah. that's, that's not even just, I mean, that could be, well, I guess not email. You got Microsoft and Google, but, um, <laughs> you know, but CRM or, or oh, yeah. numerous products, uh, a telecom. I mean, you mentioned AT&T. So, um, you know, th there's, there's a lot of options, uh, period. 
today. Yeah. And so it's like, how do I drown out the noise? How do I get focused? How do I create a, a list of, if I'm the CIO for XYZ Corp, how do I get to a manageable number of participants in a particular market that I can create an educated uh, decision from, right? How do I do that? And so following Gartner allows you to uh, to get down to that top 10 or, or less. You look at the magic quadrant, then you take all those over the upper right-hand quadrant, and then you uh, do a POC, you do an evaluation, you do comparison, and then you look at the financials. And you really see, you know, bang for buck, am I getting more than one? What I'm paying for, you know, in that deal, but but it really is. I don't know how we got on this tangent, but I like sure. it. I, I like <laughs> it because that's kind of like my day job, right? Because that takes a lot. Um, that that takes a lot of time, right? So sure. if, if in in most um IT directors or IT leaderships, they don't when they're doing negotiations, they don't do them every day, all day, every single day. They're doing it once a year or every three years or every five every years, depending years. on when depending on when contracts roll out. Then they've got to go, okay, so now I'm going to go to, where do I start? I'll go to the magic quadrant. Call John down the street, my other buddy that did this. And now let's start, let's call these guys up. And oh my gosh, now the sales rep's like just hammering me all day long. And and then you've got, okay, now they come in in the suits and ties or on Zoom or whatever it is. And there's a lot of, I would say, I call it street knowledge or word on the street knowledge that you might might not know. So, and, and my example always is look at Zoom, for example. I, ironically, we're on Zoom right now, everyone listening. Um, Zoom during COVID, what are they, what are they in the Gartner Magic Quadrant? Yeah, of course. Are they in the upper right hand? I don't even need to look. I know they are. They, they have to be in the upper right, right? Because um, are they leader in the, are they the leader in the market space? Yes. Are they printing money right now? Yes. Um, what will the Gartner Magic Quadrant not tell you? Um, during COVID, they stood up, give us a standing ovation. We're amazing. You know, we're the leader, send out the droves of sales reps to call everybody and convert them, buy out contracts, do all this stuff. What they won't tell you is how overloaded their operations department was. Right. Or they won't tell you is, yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's going to install. It's, yep. Smoothly. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's kind of like, like, what do you want to know? What do you want to know that's not on the Gartner Magic Quadrant? Well, you need to know, you need to have someone that's literally done probably a, a thousand Zoom installs over the last last, you know, 10 months to tell you, this is what you need to be prepared for. You need to understand that there's a project manager that's a butt in the seat, um, you know, with a whole stack of orders. You need someone bird dotting your or bird dogging your order. You need to know who their boss is. You need to be able to escalate to a VP level. You need to be able to walk people through all this stuff. So that's just my my two cents on the, on the Gartner thing. It's only going to get you so far. And then when you mentioned the POC and everything, well, you can mention, you could, as a, as a leader, you could spend three to eight months evaluating all these providers and putting together a, a, a spreadsheet with the you know different um, rating d different ratings and, and weights and measures of, of who's better and all this type of stuff that could take you three day months um, sure. you, you don't need to really need to do it that way and that's the that's the uh, I guess the secret that we hold behind the scenes here well that's a great point because in my book one of the things uh, one of the conclusions I got to is 80 85 percent of the market for sassy or SD wan or SDN uh -huh. uh, cybersecurity they're really going to end up going with a managed service provider model the reason for that is the managed service providers have enough labor to do a proper evaluation on a consistent 
asset bases. They're following a DevSecOps practice where they're creating an MVP, they're iterating, they're improving, and they're uh, they're collecting feedback. Most people have such a hard time with criticism, whether it's constructive or not, that they can't handle a feedback loop. But people call them every day, tell them, you know, your product's broken. It doesn't work. It doesn't do this stuff. But the managed search writer being a little bit agnostic from the branded solution can then be that advocate for you and can analyze all that stuff and have enough labor to go after it. And yes. so that, that was one of the conclusions I got to was the, the evolution of software is new releases every three weeks, new generations of technology every 18 weeks because of DevOps. Right. Oh, it's insane. It's insane. Um, it, I, um, <laughs> I, I just thought about going down a rabbit hole and I'm in my head right now. I'm realizing <laughs> that we can't do that because it'll be, a, or that'll be like another show. Why the title for the book? Uh, really it's, it's about, uh, getting off the dime and getting it done. So, you know, really when we talk about, you know, getting into something that we don't know the details about, you know, we're diving into it to where we can go through the learning process to be able to get started. Mm -hmm. We saw hundreds of large enterprise companies, probably more than half the Fortune 500, uh, take three years with very talented IT staffs to get 10 sites out of a thousand installed with SD-WAN. Three years to get 10 sites out of a thousand or more. Some of these companies had 20 or 30,000 locations and it took them three years to get the first 10 sites installed because of the paradigm shift going from routing to SD-WAN. Okay. So that's a good, it's so crazy that we're talking about this right now. Cause I remember we spoke about this a week ago uh, before we decided to do this thing. And in between that time and now I'm dealing with um, um, somebody that's considering um, they're, they're basically doing a ISP consolidation. Okay. Or ISP um, renegotiation and looking at fiber and backup and tertiary backup and all this stuff, right? And they made one comment to me. We're thinking of going BGP. I was just like, that's interesting that they just said that. That's a thought? Yeah, you know, like we're thinking of going BGP and, I, and I'm and i thinking to myself and then it started to kind of all come together like, okay, so this is why you need a cloud connect to Azure. Okay. And I'm thinking, okay, so we're why not consider, you know, SD-WAN? And to some people, it just seems kind of like it's just that like thing that they heard about they're not like maybe as familiar with it as you and me or they've looked at some providers and they're all garbage or they looked at or it didn't it didn't make sense it was more of an sd-wan light with a with an equipment piece sitting at the edge it wasn't really like a fully meshed network with backhauling data and, and everything that you want and, and security was a big question mark around it well how are we going to secure this we're gonna have to you know go fortinet or we're gonna have to go meraki or something you know there's like all these kind of like all these questions that that were you know coming up and I thought, you know, you just need to talk with, you know, you need to talk with a good VeloCloud person. You need to talk with, you know, at least, you know, I'm a big fan of Cato when it comes to international and getting around the, you know, Chinese firewalls. Like, you know, at least just, you know, talk with these people because you might not have to do that heavy lift yourself and you might not see it now, but it's, it like you said, it could be, uh, you know, two years later and we're still not, we're really not operating like we imagined it or needed it to. It's kind of just like a, like a pipe dream right now. And then, you know, 
they're talking about, well, we need, you know, uh, you know, disaster avoidance, redundancy with the data centers for, for, you know, like ERP in case, in case, you know, the, the internet connection to this, you know, ERP, you know, whatever server that we have sitting here on site goes down, then we need to be able to have it, you know, active, active replicate over here. And that's, that's why BGP. So talking to you, what do you have to say from, you know, hearing all that story? Well, the first thing is when you said you mentioned BGP, you know, the, the, the main point in SD-WAN is if you're routing, you failed. SD-WAN is secure forwarding of data, you know, based on a layer seven knowledge of, of where that data is going to go. This is great. No, no one's ever said that. And I've, I've been doing this for a long time, but I, I, I want you to, to, um, yes, to keep talking. <laughs> sure. Sure. So, uh, so, uh, there was a lot of questions in, you know, maybe 2020 because, uh, has more, some players got more aggressive in SD-WAN? Uh, there was a discussion of, do you need DPI, deep packet inspection? And the answer is 100% of the time, yes, because without it. So what, what we're doing with DPI is we're just being aware of the application, right? We're, we're learning layer seven. We're trying to associate the application with a forwarding policy, a quality policy, and a secure policy, right? So it should always be forward and secure. So without DPI, you're uh, you're going to have to create some sort of policy that says this IP address equates to this application. The reality is what we want to do is we want to use the secret sauce, like you mentioned, VeloCloud, right? VMware, NSX, SD-WAN, right? Uh, but VeloCloud, you know, that company went to market, went gangbusters with like 75 employees on the payroll. And what they did was they did a lot of really cool summarization. It's also, and, I told you that. And now they sold to VMware and cha-ching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they did a good job. But what, one of the things I learned from the Velo guys, the original guys over there was, was really, you know, we were trying to get SD-WAM to conform to the way we've done routing for the last 40 years of the market or however long you know, we've, we've been using it in production. Um, we've been trying to get it to conform. And the reality is what they've done is they've eliminated the need for us to do uh, crazy predictive uh, policy-based design. Mm -hmm. So we're using the same word policy but we've got two different contexts. So like policy-based routing, especially the way Cisco does policy-based routing, is prescriptive routing. It is forcing the packet to do exactly what you tell it to do, when you tell it to do it, how you tell it to do it, right? With mm -hmm. SD-WAN, we're taking a hands-off approach. We're, we're, our policy is more of a statement of a goal that we, uh, we want the traffic to use whatever path, whatever layer one, layer two, layer three mechanism Mm -hmm. gives us the best quality tied back into our quality policy and keeps us consistently secure based on our security policy. We didn't have that in the routing world. We had prescriptive routing, right? Which we call policy-based routing, but it was really prescriptive. And with SEWAM, we got to kind of go take the opposite approach, do a hands-off and say, hey, I want your secret sauce to do its job. And I want to lightly tell it what my goals are. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's... Um, it's uh it's amazing. I, I want to hear you answer the question about um, uh, data center failover active active. Sure. Well, first of all, um, the problem with cloud computing is it's a marketing term. So what cloud computing looked like at Google is you could go you cut the electricity in any one of their data centers and nobody knew the difference except for their NOC uh, resources, the people in operations watching it. Um, how it should be. Yeah, how it should be. 
when we went to cloud computing, it was just basically a rebranding, a marketing rebranding of, of data center hosting or uh, hosting of compute. And yeah, that's like the we, that's like the the famous meme, you know, like the the cloud is just somebody else's computer, right? It's like that's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's not so, like this. But go ahead. So you have to think about um, how you get it to the application, where the application is resilient. So. You don't want active act. What, what you want is you want to securely forward across all available paths to that end destination. And what you want is an application model that looks kind of like a load balancer sandwich model. Are you familiar with that term? I mean, I'm familiar with load balancing. I'm familiar with sandwiches. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I'm usually thinking um, I, I'm not familiar with uh, the, the load balancing sandwich model. I'm, I'm definitely familiar with um, aggregation and application stacking and that type of thing. But go ahead. Sure. Well, if the uh, let, let's go on a limb and let's assume whatever application we're using is built with redundancy in mind, not active, active, not active, standby, not active, failover. Right. None of those mechanisms, because those mechanisms uh, work us down into a worst case scenario, right? So let's imagine we've got a global load balancer that's based on DNS that the application exists in 12 data centers and you're going to send the workload wherever closest based on yes. Oh, I, I, I love you for, I love you for putting it that way. All right. So why should I go? Yeah. Why should I go all the way to Seattle when I can go to Houston if I'm in, I don't know, Kansas? That's right. That's right. So that's the external load balancing based on the application. Is that, did yeah. I understand that correctly as a lady? Oh yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Just so we sure. should be doing <laughs> synthetic te uh, transaction testing and where we've got a pretty good idea of, of our performance levels. And so sometimes when you're on the application side of the house, you're creating a model and you're like, dude, I've got tons of capacity, but my end user experience is suffering. I don't know why. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times that synthetic transaction testing allows us to get a, a, a prediction of what the end user experience is going to be. And what we've found is over the last couple of years, tons of CIOs, their actual paycheck is tied to a end user experience score. Of course. Yes. Be. Not Should only be. that, and that's that's another side topic, but I think, and, th and this is just a, a suggestion for IT directors that are out there that are having a hard time. Getting their executives to understand their value to the company, right? Because a lot of times it's like, how do we how do we get executives to understand that I'm valuable or that I'm creating value? Well, you just said there's a scorecard. You need to create a scorecard for yourself or be able to score yourself. The uh, the uh, the IT and you just mentioned a scorecard, right? That the seat that the the yeah, like an internal NPS score. Yes, yeah, like an end user experience. But what else can you do if you don't have that? You can create one for yourself or you can go to your executives oh, yeah. and say, hey, I would like a model that's more management by business of objectives. And that's called an MBO. Exactly. An MBO for people that don't know what that is out there. And because a lot of higher level enterprise companies or mid-market companies have um, MBOs connected to their IT director. And that scares some IT people because it's based on performance, but you can bonus based on performance so you can make more money so if you feel like you're just a line item uh you're just a a um um stuck in a cost center line item on the budget being squeezed as much as you can all the time offer an mbo connect your it department to all the other departments in the company and say if we do better if we cre increase efficiency if we increase end user performance which is based on these metrics and these uh, kpis i want to get paid more money 
And if I don't, then I guess, I don't know, pit me, put me on a performance improvement plan or something. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, you know, I mean, maybe you don't want to go that far, but. Um, uh, no, I, I think a performance-based culture, which I also talk about in the book, yeah. is is uh, it's positive and negative, right? So you've got to understand when you're underperforming, you got to understand when you're overperforming, and you've got to kind of take the emotion out of it, right? So football players take negative criticism really well, right? You know, they they learn how to take that and use it as a motivator to improve improve their performance. But the human population on a whole, whenever you give them constructive criticism, they melt. Then they have such yeah. a hard time with this. The funny so thing is, is when you get that culture. though, when you get that though, you live. You live more. Oh, everybody it might be scary. It. You might be scary. It might be scary. It might be, I'm not just showing up and feeling comfortable in life, but how I, I think people don't realize that being uncomfortable in life and, and going in and pushing beyond the boundaries that you're, the things that make you uncomfortable and then pushing beyond those, that's when we really start to kind of, I don't know, feel alive and kind of more invigorated. Um, I don't, that's just my point. I think stress sets in honestly, when you're not doing that and when you're not living to your full potential or really pushing yourself, it's kind of like you get stressed when you're like, I wonder if I'm going to have a job today when I come into work. That's when stress comes in. We're not right. really, when you're not really pushing this. In. Okay. So anyways, back to the routing and uh, BGP, oh, yeah, yeah. BGP and failover. And so how does that work when you got two data centers that you've been thinking about doing BGP routing? Just, you know, like how, how does that failover? No, no, work? we're going to like, forward like, uh, You know, atomic both. bomb hits one data center. Like, you know what? It doesn't matter because now the data center is going to just pick up the, the remaining traffic, but at least you're using both of them at the same time. That, that's what I'm understanding you saying. Yeah, well, that's a deep design issue. But from the SD-WAN perspective, what your goal is, is to forward across all available paths to all available destinations where the application resides, right? So you're at gonna, all times in real time yes, you, and being the most efficient possible, not paying for something that you um, and not using it. Yeah, your job is to get it there securely and safely and on time, you know, uh, you know, with the right quality mechanism, you know, in it, right? And you're you're measuring against those quality mechanisms. You're actively doing that as part of the SDA and secret sauce. So, where are people going to get hung up on this? Like, where? And, and I think you hinted at when you said like you're not routing. You've got to get. Yeah, out of so that. you've got to make that paradigm shift. You're no longer routing, and maybe you feel like that's like your job. Is I'm sure. a router. <laughs> well, 2018 and 2019, I got cut out on a regular basis. And I got cussed out by uh, CCIEs that were amazing engineers that have been doing this for 20 to 30 years. You know, some of them really low CCIE numbers. They're like, it doesn't work like that, Jeremiah. You know, you can't tell me that. They cussed me out and refused to talk to me for six months. Then they would call me back six months later, apologize, and then ask me to teach them what I was trying to teach them the first time. And the reason for that is all of our understanding of uh, network engineering is based on electrical engineering, which ties into computer systems engineering. So if you, if you follow the bouncing ball, what happens is if you understand the way the electricity works as it flows through the router's main board, as it applies to the network interface, as it 
uh, has it functions through there. Every generation of technology, you could run a calculation and, and tell, tell uh, what that device is going to do, right? So you can calculate it forward and backwards. You can reverse engineer it. You can understand all of this. And, and so a lot of people don't think about this consciously, but the guys that trained me back in 1997 had 42 years of electrical engineering experience and they started teaching me how to work on Cisco router. And uh, from the main board up, all of that is electrical engineering. And you've got to understand when you're configuring the router, how that applies to the way everything's going to work, you know, through the boards, through the cards, through, you know, through everything there, because the behavior is governed by electrical engineering theory. Do you think people actually do that? Most uh, people. I, I don't think anyone's <laughs> thinking. I, I don't think, I don't think the so general IT guys thinking about electricity and how it flows through a router. I mean, that's pretty deep. Yeah. I think yeah, they know routing protocols. I think they know like how to configure yeah. something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we're going to decimal from decimal to hex to binary. Would that's effect, effectively what we're doing is we're trying to communicate with electrical engineering signaling on the device. Uh, and we do that in form of commands. Like all, all the, you know, the 30 year CCIEs, they know all the commands by heart. They can do it in their sleep. And, you know, you say, Hey, I got this problem. They'll, they'll, they'll spit out a command to you. You type in that command. It's going to give you the where it hurts model so you can fix it. Right. You can make it better. <laughs> but all that's based on electrical engineering. So maybe they don't, you know, I, I don't think they all think about it consciously, but that's really where it's coming from. And all those commands we're putting in the router are really converting it to where you can leverage the machine to work the way the machine's designed to work, uh, which comes from all that theory. Now, when we go to uh, uh, to virtual machines, right, we've got a hypervisor that disaggregates our relationship with the operating system, which they disaggregates our relationship with the board functionality. We, again, at this point, don't care how it works, right? It's it's like, um, you know, do we care whether our water meter in our house is an analog or digital? No, no, we, we don't care. You know, what what's governing the flow, we just expect it to flow the base, the capacity of the pipes, right? So if I've got a two-inch water pipe, it's going to flow X amount of gallons per hour, no matter what we do. So long as it's flowing optimally, there's no uh, clogs in the plumbing. We don't care about that. So now we get over to SD-WAN. We got SD-WAN that's, that's disaggregated at least a couple levels, software-defined networking mechanisms. And so now what we do is we're uh, we're essentially using some sort of a abstracted code that is interfacing at those levels that where we used to hands on keyboard, you know, doing the command uh, line interface type work, the CLI type work. So now we've got to take a lot of that stuff for granted or 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 we have to accept that it's going to work a design, which was one of the early things with VeloCloud that I had so much trouble with is I had to take their word for it, how it worked. And I didn't like that, right? Because here I am, a, uh, a network engineer that's been doing this for you know twenty some odd years, twenty five years at this point, and and I've got all all this experience, and I've implemented hundreds of uh, of thousands of Cisco devices, so I know how all that works. But I had to stop and and say, this is a new paradigm. This is that point where it changed. Not like every three years we'd been changing. This is a complete different change, a complete disaggregation. And I've got to look at it differently. I've got to look at it from the programmer's viewpoint. The programmer says, my application needs to work. It needs to work within a certain level of quality. It needs to provide a quality user experience. And it needs to be secure. 
Understood. So, Understood. Why should we do it this way? Other than it's just the new thing. Because that's it not, works better. That's not new. That's not new anymore. Okay. So it works better. How? Well, the first thing, let's talk about management operations. I can manage a thousand devices in the same labor cycles I can manage 10 devices the old way. Because... because? <laughs> yeah, because the object modeling, right? When we when we look at the SD WAN secret sauce, one of the things it's going to do is it's going to relate uh, to the device in kind of an object model uh, basis, where I can uh, simultaneously upgrade a thousand devices, and it's got a one to one with each of those thousand devices. Whereas the old way, I would have used a script, so I would have grabbed, uh, you know, I would have pushed out a script to all of yes. my devices. And I would have expected, you know, 92 to 97 percent. And work. and assumingly, assumingly, that's harder to do and time consuming. And in the new way, you can do that more often if you if you have a bunch of changes yeah. that come through more often. So you don't have to. Your network doesn't have to be. Um, I don't know, kind of waiting for an upgrade. I don't know how else to say that, I guess. But um, I, I understood, understood. It's easy to manage uh, endpoints, I guess really not as endpoints or kind of as endpoints. You don't have to manage a bunch of individual routers, or at least in a Meraki case, you don't have to log into each router and make changes. You can make it across your entire network easier. Um, did I understand that correctly? Yeah, yeah. And it's the relationship of the tools. So we've spent the last 20 years trying to develop tools. Like I, I used one point Cisco Works. Uh, to, to be able to control the, uh, the code and the devices and to be able to update it and right. audit it. And, and right, it, right. it was, it, it never worked correctly. This works correctly because we're not going all the way down. What we're doing is we're, uh, auditing in real time all the configurations because they're tied back to the policy on the device. Right. The, uh, the policy management is keeping all the policies in sync across the board. And what we're able to do is like, I, I think I did, uh, 2,900 routers, uh, the configuration and the operating system in like, how uh, I want to say it was 20 minutes twice. So 40 minutes, you know, upgraded 2,900 routers, you know, using this type of model, you know, uh, using, uh, Ansible, right? And that was not a way that physical routers ever work. Does that okay. make sense? And now with the SD WAN, it's fifteen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fifteen seconds, right? It's uh, yeah, it's fifteen <laughs> okay. seconds. So uh, I just want to make sure that we were clear, clear, like the difference, right? You know, that was still forty minutes. This is yeah, fifteen seconds. Okay. Um, what else other what? than just making changes to routing? I mean, just why? What else? Well, uh, it's not just that. I mean, it's like no. it's application stacking. It's all the other tools on top of it. It's bandwidth aggregation. It's um, packet inspection. It's forward error correction. It's cl cleaning up QoS. It's making the internet better. It's. Um, I mean, I can. What else do we have that I am For forgetting? Sure. Well, um, let, let's let's talk about aggregation for just a second. So years ago, we tried to do layer two aggregation a bunch of different ways, right? I used to have a thing called a packeteer, and I could basically take uh, multiple T ones and bond them together. And then we came out with ATM inverse Mox IMA, which uh, allowed us to effectively do that. So we basically created kind of an inverted belly button model with the telco, and we could uh, aggregate. <laughs> Yeah, multiple circuits together and, and create a uh, kind of a fake ATM circuit and talk back natively to, you know, to their ATM uh, switch. Just yeah. speak. Hey, just speak into the microphone a little bit more because you're getting farther away. I can tell. And this is so. This is so. I need this to be clear. 
<laughs> but go ahead. Okay. So let's take a look at bandwidth aggregation with SDRAM. So I've got a customer um, and, and not focus on any one brand because uh, I've got at least 10 different branded SDRAM solutions that will behave in the same way. Uh, this customer has four active circuits at all time in every one of their locations, and they have the ability to plug in a fifth, which is a VSAT at any time. Right. So, so if the IE L or VSAT, okay, never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not, I'm not a satellite. That's funny. No, so we brought satellite back because natural disasters, um, you know, take out a lot of. Well, I get it, but like, I mean, what what about? Are you saying is VSAT the fifth option over LTE? Mm -hmm. What about LTE? Well, at that point, LTE's down. Okay. Hurricane, you know, tornado, whatever, right? Ah, uh, okay, gotcha. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, the fifth, so we basically, <laughs> so we, got, we got fiber, and then we got fiber, then we got cable, then we've got yeah. uh, a bonded copper, layer LTE, one diverse. LTE, fixed wireless point, line of sight, and satellite. Okay. Um, so, so we got them all. We got all these levels of diversity. Yeah. Now, what uh, the normal conversation with the average network engineer, network manager, is going to be okay, so what's primary and what's secondary? I'm like, no, they're all primary, right? And by policy, what we're going to do, we're going to forward across all of them active, right? But let's say, uh, like, say they've got MPLS, they've got some sort of dedicated internet, then they got broadband, the LT, and then satellites number five, right? So we're going to put them in, and it's obviously cheaper for me to run over broadband. So, but I'm I'm going to be concerned about anything that's super latency sensitive, anything that's mission critical, like my RTP traffic, my my voice traffic, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm going to prioritize my voice traffic and probably one to five applications to run over MPLS because I can trust the SOA. Right. So I'm going to have a five nines SLA that's contracted with my service provider. So I'm going to have. Maybe 10 to 20 percent of my bandwidth is going to be MPLS. Then I'm going to have, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, 30 to 70 percent of my bandwidth is going to be um, uh, dedicated internet, some sort of a dedicated interaction solution. It's it's delivered fiber, but it's a it's, it's a commercial grade, you know, uh, type enterprise class. And then I'm going to have uh, probably at least that much bandwidth, and maybe uh, four or five times the bandwidth I need on broadband because it's cheap, right? And then I'm going to have uh, whatever I can get locally out of the LTE, the 5G, the whatever. Uh, from a uh, fixed mobile, you know, type uh, access, and then I'll have satellite, you know, which will give me whatever it can give. Me, right. So now I've got all these out there, and I'm going to prioritize my RTP traffic, you know, with the most reliable circuit, and then I'm going to uh, prioritize my business traffic for most applications. It's going to go across the dedicated internet access because I've got tons of bandwidth, and I'm going to have my bulk load traffic. Like, uh, okay, look, dollars. look, you're okay. So, just for the sake of everyone out there, you're glazing over the CEO right now. We need to get, oh, okay, sure. let's get, let's quit quickly to the point because he just fell asleep and we don't want to lose him. So, no like, no I'm just being honest, like, you know, let's let's let because I do want to help because I had this conversation the other day too with someone who was like, you know, the guy was talking, uh, and then like I saw the CEO getting ready to walk out of the room, and then we said, hey, by the way, this is what it's going to do for you. Um, yeah. So I do want to get to the security aspects of this. So give me the quick short story of all of that. Okay. So the, the, the main point of that is 
We are actively foreign across home at the same time. And we're prioritizing just for convenience. But the reality is any of our traffic can go across any of those at the same time. And what it does is increase our total available bandwidth, you know, right. just like aggregation would. But they're not primary or secondary. They're not tertiary. They're not low balance. It's low all carrier. at the same they're time. Right. It's all at the same time. So if one drops, it's like fail it, it's failover in 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 sub milliseconds. It's not like there's not like it's, a, it, it's not uh it's not load balancing where the switch needs to happen and the other thing needs to turn on. The call is that the the voice call is still active. Yeah, the, every, the yeah, everything is still active because you're sending like basically copies of the same packet, if I understand that correctly. Well, that's forward error correction, but yes. yes. Uh, so forward okay. error correction would sit across two paths at the same time. You would not notice that you lost the packet on voice. Talk to me about security real quick. Well, how how does sure. security change? I want to know how security changes in this world because that's what we are supposed to be talking about, but this is great. And I want to know someone that's worried about security in this environment and well, it's going to be there's going to be a cloud application to it. And then what what about security and how about connecting to third party um I don't know um uh, Azure, AWS or something like that. How does that work in this world? So it's two part question, security then Azure. Okay. So the first thing is the security, and this is this is a big topic, but security is no less than your point-to-point VPN tunnel over IPsec or or a TLS connection, right? It's you're always going to have that unless you do something massive to shut it down. You're going to always have a secure tunnel on on every one of those. We call them overlap, right? But essentially, what it is. It's an encrypted tunnel uh, that is is following the security policy that you built into your SD-WAN solution, but it does it by default. It comes out of the box doing that, right? And then you've got to do a lot of work to break it. So that's the first concern. The second concern with with security came in with SASing. What we we wanted to do is we wanted to you know we've, we've understood uh, for most of our career that uh, security is layered, uh, defense in depth, that sort of thing. But really, what we wanted is to book in security. We're tying the firewall, the cloud firewall, the SWIG, the the Casper. We're tying all the stuff in together with SASE, and it's being integrated with the SD WAN solution. So now we've got clean handoffs between. Uh, what would have been a um, like a debarkation point for a security mechanism. Now it's all integrated. So we integrated via API and, and we're logically handing off between these things. And what we're doing is we're logging uh, to the same SOC uh, for all these services. So now we can we can have a security team have oversight and, and verify that we are uh, being effective at making sure the traffic gets there securely and it's handed off securely. So that's the main security discussion that a lot of people get nervous around. But uh, it allows for checks and it allows for checks and balances, and it allows for security. It allows for security to have a um, uh, just checks and balances. It just allows for checks and balances. I don't know how else to say that. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, in DevOps, we call it feedback, and we use that feedback to further. Um, Azure connections, cloud connections in general, speaking with um, SaaS providers, um, increasing, um, um, not productivity is not the word, If not efficiency, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, just um, how fast the application works, not, you know, you know, going to the least path, you know, least path, you know, of resistance type of thing. Um, efficiency, I guess. I don't know. I'm just yeah, I, I'm I'm a a lost for words right now. Quality, latency. 
Yes, quality. Uh, yeah, but I, I always tie it back into quality because one of our, our chief quality mechanisms is the uh, latency required for an application to be successful. Performance. Sure. I, yeah, I, performance. Performance was the word I was thinking of. Okay, so how do we okay. increase performance across um, applications that are in the cloud? Yeah, so we can go direct to the Azure availability zone. We can we can go go ahead and do that. We can also apply Express Route over it. And there, uh, almost every one of these SD-WAN providers have an API that's already sort of built in. Like in the VeloCloud story, they've got the VeloCloud gateways that are already there at the edge, and it's really quickly uh, to click through and publish uh, connection in Azure. Just I guess my point is, do you should you be paying for some sort of additional connection or cloud connection no. with Azure? No. So, you say, uh, the, so my point is, is, my point there to people listening is that is a savings. Yeah. Or an offset, or an offset, I guess. But go ahead, dedicated. My one. my cousins or my excuse me, my customers that have dedicated, uh, like say, going through FNX Cloud Exchange, you know, connections and into Azure, it's generally for a transitory type solution, right? So they're going from uh, on-premise to the cloud and they've got several steps or milestones in the process of doing that. And so what they need those is for two to three years while they transition. But as they get those applications, you know, published directly in Azure, uh, really want to leverage TLS security over IP set and want to be able to try to go straight from uh, whatever the uh, device is straight using the applications here to straight into that application for people so, learning for, for people learning um can you explain that yeah yeah so yeah so essentially uh when you, when you go to HTTPS on, on anything that's your ssl or tls uh encrypted tunnel uh that goes to the application as you build up those applications correctly and they're published in azure completely right they're not dependent upon uh, data that you have in your data center, right? So they're they're just in Azure. Uh, all their whole ecosystem is in Azure. They don't need anything from your premise, right? Now your users need to get access to it, and it's in Azure. They can get onto it through any internet connection if you've got correctly published uh, cloud security, you know, from Azure, right? You know, you, you know your software uh, gateway, secure web gateway, you know, that sort of function, which you know, which can be. Uh, you know, multiple brands, but it's uh, it's published right there on the edge with Azure. Now you can guarantee security from the device that's being used to access the application that's in Azure using that security end to end, and you don't no longer need the private network. Matter of fact, over the next ten years, we're going to see more than eighty percent of corporate offices go to like a guest Wi-Fi type solution and have no private network operators. So this comes full circle to what you said at the beginning and last time, which is if you're routing, you fail. That's right. <laughs> I love it. It's like, uh, I just really want to like, you know, uh, I want to ruffle as many feathers as possible. I think we might title this episode, If You're Routing, You Fail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I went through the same emotional journey. I went through all the same trial and error that that, that everybody, everybody else is going to have to go through. Uh -huh. But the re reality is, if you're running, you're failing because it's uh, I think this has been a a um, a very good show. I really appreciate it. What other words of advice and wisdom do you have? I mean, I'm sure we could talk for hours, but you know, sure. what what other what would be if you had one thing to say to people out there listening to IT directors and IT leaders, people that might be um um I don't know, haven't um seen the light yet, so to speak, or don't even know, or or you know, because we you don't know what you don't know. 
right? Like in, right. I've had, I've had 50% of uh, IT leaders, I hate that saying. And I've had other people say, you don't know what you don't know. Literally that they, they say it, right? So you don't know what you don't know. So what would be your one uh, piece of, and, and how much do we not know, right? It's like so much, like, especially yeah. with how fast the world is changing and different, you know, just providers in the cloud and security. And, and, uh, you know, we, we didn't really even touch on anything on, as far as like, you know, what could happen, right? In, in your security um, network. But if you had one piece of advice, um, other than buy your book, which I'm sure they can find on Amazon, is it on Amazon? Yeah, yeah. All they're going to do is search Jeremiah again on Amazon. I'm one of the top two things ever done. Jeremiah again, G-I-N-N, Diving into Secure Access Service Edge. But if you had one uh, piece of advice or a thing to say, what would it be? It's, it's really professional learning, which is not effective if you can't take constructive or criticism feedback. Most of my success in my career is I've taken negative feedback and turned it into a learning experience where I used it as a, the, the hop-up point to start learning something I wasn't aware of, something I didn't. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a pleasure. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being invited. And well,